Man, it is good to, to be together. It's good to gather and have, have everybody here. Um, we are kicking off the book of John again. So part two, we spent uh, 22 weeks uh, preaching through the book of John starting on, on January 3rd. And we got through chapter seven after 22 weeks. And uh, not because the book is slow or, um, you know, it's like so boring or anything, but it's because there's so much treasure there that uh, mining it and, and mining it for our lives and stuff, like it felt like a crime to, to move too quickly. So we are right now starting uh, part two, and the plan is to spend 34 weeks in part two of the book of John. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles over here on the table. You can take it. It's yours. Um, they're not like super cheap. They're actually nice Bibles that you could, you could use. And I like to underline and even date like, hey, I'm trusting you here on this day. And so, or like, I want to believe this, but I'm, having, I'm struggling to believe this. I'll put a date next to it and stuff. And so uh, if you don't have a Bible that you feel comfortable doing that, feel free to grab on those. We'll have the verses on the screen too. Um, our, our hope is to, to preach in a way that, that will arrive at the uh, crucifixion, resurrection on Easter. Uh, then May 15th is when we will uh, wrap up the book of John. And man, there is power in the chapters that are coming. True life transformation. I, I felt this when we preached through Ephesians, Daniel, First uh, Thessalonians. I was like, has this been in here the whole time? Like, it feels like it's kind of like hot off the press for us right now. And uh, I, I really hope that that happens too. So uh, today and for the rest of, of going through the book of John, some of the, uh, not John 3.16, that's probably the most well-known verse, but there are passages that are coming that are um, some of the, I think, some of the most beautiful things written in any language. This was all written in Greek, but some of the most beautiful things ever written, um, ever put down, put down it by John's hand, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we get ready to re-enter this book, um, I, I've been doing this personally for myself just, just the last week of how do I interact with the Bible? How do I hopefully have it not just kind of like, boop, like bounce off of me, but how do I actually hear it? How do I have it take root inside of me? How do I even maybe... Um, interact with the author. <laughs> amazing thing. I've very, in, I don't know if I've ever read an amazing book where the author was available to me at all times, you know? And so how, how do we do that? So I want to just give just four quick thoughts. These aren't original to me. Uh, I don't even think they're original to the reformers, but the reformers in the 16th century uh, talked about this a lot where they said, whenever you encounter a passage of, of scripture, Think of it like we have all these cords and cables and stuff like that, that that do a good job like actually bringing sound. Hopefully, we've had a gremlin in the sound system, so hopefully, see, it just said hi. So, um, but thinking of almost a cable with four strands, and when we're connected to the Word of God, it's through these four strands. So the, I'm going to just switch to the mic. Is that Okay. We've tried to fix that like three times, so sorry. We'll, fi we'll figure it out eventually. Um, so think of a, of a four-stranded connection to the Word of God. The first strand is instruction. So let's use the example of abstain from evil. You could 
interact with God saying, you have instructed me to abstain from evil. I hear you. I hear what you are saying to me. I understand that you have told me abstain from evil. Second is to be thankful. <laughs> is, is Luther and others have great things of saying like, thank him for that. He didn't have to tell us that. But because he loves us and because he is for us and knows how he designed us, we can say, okay, first instruction. I hear that you're telling me abstain from evil. Second, thank you that you have taught me I should abstain from evil. Thank you. You are kind to me in teaching me such things. Third, I confess, confession, I confess that I don't abstain from evil as much as I'd like to, or I confess, and confession can be, people use terms of sins of commission and sins of omission. So it's times when I commit, I commit sins where I'm not abstaining from evil. And then omission, times when basically I was on the sidelines, when I should have been engaged and I, I didn't, I just sat back and uh, I didn't abstain from evil. So confess, so instruction, thanksgiving, confession, and then prayer. God, would you give me the power to abstain from evil? Anything you ask me to do, I cannot do it. But you are not playing tricks with me. You are not out to get me. I actually need you to do the things that you are asking me to do. I must be in relationship with you. Would you give me the ability to abstain from evil? And so that's like four chords connecting us to every path. And you can, if you're like, well, when I try and pray, I start thinking about this, this, my to-do list, all that stuff. And I actually pray with a to-do list next to me to be like, oh, I'm gonna write that down. Okay, I need to pray again. Like I'm back, you know. But when you, praying this way, can be engaging the word of God, engaging God, and being formed, okay? So I just wanted to share that on the front end as we get back into the book of John, that you can even hear a message that way. It's not just when you're in your you know, cozy room with a cup of coffee, um, it can be right now. Hearing the word of God, engaging God through his word together um, in such a way as well. And um, man, I just, uh, Lord, I want to ask you that as we open up John chapter 8, would this be your moment? Lord, maybe we walked in here just with as much walls up as possible to get you to go away, to get all things about you to go away. And Lord, would you just bring those walls down? this is a safe place. Would you make yourself known in this room? Because we're not wanting to just gather and play church and leave, but we're actually wanting to interact with you, which will change every one of us. 
So as we interact with you through your word, would you have your way? Would you change us? Would you form us? Would you disciple us? Would you knit us together? Would you send us out together? Would you do whatever you want to do here? Because you're, you're the one here that we're, we're gathered around. And Lord, if, um, man, if people are here this morning and are just have no idea if you're real, no idea if you're good, no idea if you're for them, no idea if you even see them. Lord, I just ask that, um, that you would just meet with each of us, that we would not resist, that you would have your way this morning. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so just a little bit of background as we get to John 8, starting in verse 12, is... Um, is John chapter seven was Jesus in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is a national holiday for the country of Israel. And so the entire country is to come to one city. Imagine how bustling that is. The entire country is to come to one city at the Feast of Tabernacles and what they are doing is they are celebrating being set free from being slaves for hundreds of years. So the Egyptians enslaved them. Have you seen the work they did as slaves? The pyramids? True story. Like, I mean, you're not slaves to unambitious people. You're slaves to some of the most ambitious humans that have ever lived and you are doing their work and their bidding and even building things that still exist today. And we've got archeological evidence for all of that stuff. We even have camps of where the Israelites were. You can tell based on their diet, all sorts of stuff. So what they're doing is they're celebrating that God rescued them from hundreds of years of slavery, leading them into the promised land. But oh yeah, it would take decades to get there. So they were living in a desert, no way to survive in their journey from slavery to the promised land. And a couple million people out in the desert were getting ready to die of thirst. And the Lord instructed Moses to strike a rock. And when he struck a rock, uh, water came out. Uh, it was, if you remember, we preached on that a couple months ago. And as just torrential water came out of this rock, millions of people had their thirst quenched and survived. And Jesus stood up at the Feast of Tabernacles and he said that, that he is the living water. That even more than any quenching of thirst that the Israelites could have, and they're celebrating that at the Feast of Tabernacle, Jesus says more than that, I am the living water. I am the one that quenches your thirst. I am the one that when you're between slavery and the promised land, I am the living water. Jesus is the world's living water, not a dead religion. He is the living water. True, when he spoke this in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles, true today. So then he speaks again. So where we're at today is him still at the Feast of Tabernacles speaking again. John 8, starting in verse 12, says this. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the immediate context of this verse, remember, the people hearing Jesus in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles would have been like, because they're thinking about all the ways that God provided for them. You have to, you have to go the pillar of fire. The pillar of fire, oh my gosh. And you can tell by the pushback, everybody in the room gets it or everybody that was around him gets what he's saying. We're a little bit removed, so we gotta tease out what he's saying. And for those who have served in desert areas, for those who've lived in desert areas, um, you realize like it gets really hot during the day, right? Like, I mean, very simple statement, but in a desert, you think it gets really hot during the day. They don't have giant 300-year-old oak trees like we have in Iowa. Um, they don't have these big shady areas. It is just open. I, I spent a day in the Judean wilderness where they were roaming, and it was a hot day. And the person, the group that I was with, they just said, let's just sit outside all day and just cook. And it was like, yes, this sounds amazing, you know, but it was really hot and dry and unpleasant. And you couldn't be like, hey, let's sit over that tree. It's like, there's no trees. It's just rocks. It's like you're on Mars, you know, or something like that. That's the way it felt. And what God did during that time was he said, I'm going to give you guys a gigantic cloud. And during the day, there's going to be this huge cloud that provides enough shade for 2 million people. So we're not talking just a little quarter up in the sky, you know, like this is a, a large cloud up in the sky. And then the shocking thing to me about deserts is it gets really cold at night. It doesn't just back off a little bit. And, uh, but, and especially in this desert, it gets really cold at night and there's no firewood. So what God did to keep these people alive was he formed this, the cloud became this giant pillar of fire. And what scripture even detailed was that it would, it would comfort them, it would provide shade, it would warm them at night, and then whenever the pillar was, was stationary, they put out their camp and they just stayed. But then whenever the pillar moved, they moved. So, so for them, like the way that they knew where they were going and the way they knew how to get there was to follow the pillar of fire. And artists have like imagined what this would look like. And here's, I think, like an uh, interesting depiction of what that could have looked like, having this giant pillar of fire that is warming all of the camp around them. And this is archeologically pretty accurate for the ways that they did their tents back then and the way that the tabernacle would have looked and all of that stuff. So for multiple decades, this was how they lived. And this, this was how that they were together. So you can imagine a national holiday where they get together and they actually live in tents in Jerusalem and they, they spend detailed time remembering the way that God had provided for them and that the way that God had directed them and led them. And Jesus stands up in the middle of that and says, I am the light of the world. 
I'm the light of the world. He is the pillar of fire. He's the cloud during the day as we hide under the shelter of his wings. He's the one that's keeping us all alive. He's the one that when he says, stay, we stay. When he goes, we go. He is the light, not just of Israel, not just of Collins Maxwell, Colin Nesco Baxter, Wes Marshall. He's the light of the world. So a few just kind of simple yet very powerful, I think, realizations that we might not know unless it's been revealed to us. One is for this statement to be true, Jesus is the light of the world. One is our world is dark. Satan, demons, disease, the desires of the flesh, sin, all these exhibit our world is dark. Now, there's, there's, I think, really good theological reasons why we could say it's not as dark as it could be. I think the work of God already and just his common grace is it could always be darker, but at a base, our world is dark. Second, light drives away darkness. Light drives away darkness. And man, I, uh, <laughs> oh, I, I hate making fun of my wife when she's not in the room, but, uh, but uh, Patty grew up in Orlando where it never really gets dark, dark. You know, it never gets Iowa, like rural Iowa dark. And my wife twice, as like an, a, a grown woman, has woken up and been totally convinced she's blind. Like, freaking out waking up, like, oh my gosh, I can't see, I can't see, I'm blind, I'm blind, I'm blind. You know, like just totally concerned because she's like, I can't see my hand in front, I'm blind, you know? And just having this moment, you know? And then you turn on the light and it's like, oh, oh wow, wasn't blind, you know? And because she just isn't used to rural Iowa dark where it's dark, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and one of the things that I can joke about, she jokes about it, so I don't worry that I'm like betraying her trust. It's a very public story that uh, um, I actually visited some people in Colorado and the little kids, so they were like some of my wife's college roommates, and the little kids came up and were like, are these stories all true of you? And they started listing all these stories and she's like, yep, 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 yep. They're like, we thought our parents were always lying, you know? And I was like, nope, those are all true stories, you know? So uh, <laughs> um, one of the things though, with like when it's dark, dark, or just dark, you know, is like you don't flip a switch of the light on and see the darkness like start moseying out, right? Like you don't see it like collecting in the corners uh, then slowly going underneath the doors and stuff, right? So how fast does the darkness go away when you turn on the lights, right? 186,000 miles per second, right? Not miles per hour, miles per second. 186,000 miles per second, that's the speed of light. That is how fast the darkness is leaving. And I've never seen the dar darkness win. Not one time have I ever been like, I mean, the light sometimes doesn't work, right? But when the light is on, the, even a, a, a match is 186,000 miles per second effective at pushing the darkness away. 
So our world is dark, light drives away darkness. And third, everyone, everyone must be rescued from darkness. Okay? Like none of us can just go into darkness and be like, hey, y'all need to get out of here. You know, like it doesn't work that way, right? The light needs to come on. But then also, each of us must be rescued from darkness. Check out Colossians 1.13. It says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So the default for every human, even if you're the nicest guy in the world, the default for every human is that we are born in the domain of darkness. That's our default setting. If it wasn't our default setting, and if it wasn't like hard to get out of the domain of darkness, like Jesus could have said, hey, I'm just gonna stay in heaven and everybody just like do good, be good people. Stop being bad people, be good people. Do a little bit more good than bad and we'll all be good. To realize the value of our soul, the value that God sees in us, that he'd say, I'm gonna give what I love the most in this world. The father saying, I'm gonna give my son can't think of anything higher that I could give. My beloved son to go and give his life for these people, live the life they couldn't live, pay the price they couldn't pay so that we could be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and be citizens of heaven, transferred to the kingdom of light. The only way a soul, the only way any of us can be rescued from the domain of darkness is being delivered by Jesus. And this isn't why, this, Jesus doesn't say, I am the light of Christians. He says, I'm the light of the world. The only way anyone can come from darkness is through him. Transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus states clearly to each of us, states clearly to each of us, I am the light of the world. Then the next part of John chapter eight, the next part of verse 12, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This Greek word, whoever, is, uh, th there's a lot of stuff that's packed into words um, in Greek and other languages are this way where you can tell like, is this plural or singular and all this stuff. So the way that whoever is written in, in this verse is in the singular case. So another way you could translate it is the one who follows me will not walk in darkness. Singular, the one who follows me then it says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but they will have, but will have, and that is singular as well. So what is being very clearly written here is that you can't rely on your parents, you can't rely on grandparents, you can't rely on your name written on some 
stained glass window somewhere, and through that lineage, sometime, somehow that's connected to your relationship with God. It kind of, uh, you're on their coattails. You can't rely on a friend's walk with Jesus. You can't rely on anyone's walk with Jesus because Jesus loves you too much for that. He's like, no, I'm actually doing all of this for you. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If we follow Jesus, the real Jesus, alive and well, alive and present today among us, if we follow him, we will not walk in darkness. That means that if we resist him, we are walking in darkness. And I did that a long time. It wasn't until I was on the rugby team at the University of Northern Iowa that God finally was like, hey, look at your track record. Let's, let's do a kind of like a, a spiritual write-up of your life. And it's like, look, every time that you were thinking you're really killing it, it ended up like really going to a dark place, really kind of like wrecking your life in the ditch. How's that working for you? And then I got around some people who were like, man, every time I try and just do me, it goes dark and unfulfilling. Things I thought were going to fulfill me don't. And when I approach Jesus, give my life to him, when I'm around his people even, like that light, I feel it shining in the darkness. And, and I, I, wanted, I wanted that. All the light that we need for all of life comes from our relationship with him. We live in dark days. I think there have always been dark days to live in, but we are living in dark days today. And the darker the day, the, the brighter the light shines, right? I mean, when it is dark, dark, and man, it feels like the light is just explosive. And that's part of the reason that we have three students that are being baptized later today is because the light has shined into their life. They realize that light is not just a thing, it's a person, and they've come to the person and given their lives to Jesus. And man, God gives us all sorts of blessings in life. Like, it's a blessing to watch kids or grandkids uh, play in sports. Like, we got cross-country, volleyball, and football right now in high school, it's in middle school. Super fun, really enjoyable to see them face challenges and succeed or fail and not give up and all that stuff. Um, it's a blessing. It's wonderful to have hobbies that we enjoy. Like, hunting season starts in three weeks. I can't wait. It's a blessing. Um, it's, it's wonderful to um, have a career that we find rewarding. That's good. Um, but let's not mistake that following the light of the world, we're called up into incredible things. And the mission that we're called into, I think, will be the most rewarding, hardest, worthwhile endeavors that we ever get to be part of. Verse 12 of Ephesians 6 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Locking arms together on Sundays is a way that we push back darkness together as we worship the light of the world. Walking daily with Jesus we are part of his plan A to have darkness driven out of our lives and out of the community 
by his light. Coming together in community groups, I think, is an important place where together we follow him in having the, the light of the world work out our darkness, shining in our community. Verses 13 through 20 of chapter 8, don't get nervous that, like, that was just the first verse and we're going to spend equal time on 13 through 20. What 13 through 20 is, is people who have become professionals at avoiding Jesus. Avoiding his invitation for them to be transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of light. Trying to match him intellectually. Trying to find the, the, the one exception that they can just enjoy sitting in darkness and not be set free and find life in the light. And man, this morning, as we, as we wrap up here and we'll be able to enjoy these baptisms, and, but this morning, man, would the light of the world just shine? That's what's been kind of messing me up all week is just really chewing on this verse, verse 12, and just encountering all of these challenging situations this week and being like, Jesus, would you just light this up? Thinking things I don't want to think and being like, Jesus, would you light me up? Would you shine in my thoughts? Would you shine here in, in the areas where, man, I, Lord, I, I want what you want for me? Shining through each of us, driving away the darkness, warming our souls, changing us, changing our beautifully broken community, leading us where he wants us to go. So a terrible way for us to hear Jesus say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. A terrible response is, man, I got to try really hard to turn my light on. Or some, that's a terrible response. I think another maybe bad response is, I don't believe any of this. You know, football game. Here we go. I think that's a bad response too. I think, uh, man, if you have the temptation to try harder, that's going to be a hamster wheel that's going to be lifeless. I think if you're just like, I don't believe any of this, I'm leaving. I think you're missing an opportunity to engage a potential really powerful moment in your life. And I'm not like going to strong arm you to believe it, but I would certainly encourage you to at least just ask him, just throw up a quick conversation. Hey, I don't know if this is true. If it is, would you show me? I don't want to be a person that you're seeking to, you're seeking to do some things in my life and I'm just already, it's a no is on the table. Don't, don't put the no on the table yet. I would at least ask him, is this a yes? Man, for all of us, the response is not to try harder. The response is to come to him. Come to the light of the world and let him shine. And so a very tangible way that we can come to him is through communion. Now, what is happening here, this is his design, is I want you to experientially, to, to have an, a time with me where you commune with me. And we'll take bread. I think, are the Caldwell serving today? Yeah, if you guys mind coming up, or maybe somebody else. Oh, okay, here we go. Um, 
is what they'll do is they'll tear off bread that represents the body of Jesus lived in your place. And if you hold your hands out like this, they will place it in your hand. They will say to you, the body of Jesus given for you. And this is going to take a little bit of time, and that is totally okay because we want this to just become a sacred moment because this is the one who follows me. This is for each of us to receive that. And then you take, a, a, it's all juice today. A lot of times we have wine and juice, but this is all juice today representing his blood. And um, the way that we do it here is receive the elements, and then we'll all go back to our seats, remain standing, and then we'll take it together as family, okay? If you are not a follower of Jesus at this moment, I would encourage you, don't come to the table. I would encourage you to interact with him. Ask him if this is real. If you feel compelled to give your life to Jesus, give your life to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm yours. I give my life to you. Thank you, these things are true. I believe them. And then come to the table. And man, we'll ball with you, rejoice with you. Uh, truly a good day. So uh, man, let's, uh, let's spend some time. Let's, let's meet with him. And then let's come, come to the table.